Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. John 15, verses 9 to 17. Page 1083. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Well, as we stand, let me pray for us. As we've sung, Heavenly Father, of uh, this tottering, tempestuous world, we pray indeed that we would have words now that would give us uh, the ultimate hope of something better. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please do sit down. Well, it was, uh, we were told, the war to end all wars. And when you hear the shocking statistics, you'd have thought it would have been enough to motivate the human race never again to engage in any conflict like it. More than 9 million killed and 27 million wounded. On the 1st of July 1916, the first day of the Battle of the Somme, in that one day alone, there were 57,740 casualties, 19,240 dead. It was then and remains still the bloodiest day in the history of the British Army. The numbers are quite staggering. But we must remember today that we're talking about more than numbers Roger Carswell writes, behind the statistics are dreadful stories of human suffering. There are widows, fatherless children, broken-hearted parents, and spinsters who never married because of the shortage of young men. Almost every city, town and village in this land were affected. There were only 50 thankful parishes, as they were called. Only 50 parishes in the whole of the United Kingdom welcomed all their sons home alive at the end of the war. The memorials in every community engraved with lists of the names of local people who died are a stark reminder of the reality of the First World War. And so today, 100 years on, we feel deep gratitude for the sacrifice of a previous generation whose losses laid the foundation for our freedoms. Along with those who died in the First World War, we remember today the casualties of war all over our planet. It was, as I'm sure you know, 11am on the 11th of November 1918 that the guns of the Western Front fell silent 
after more than four years of continuous warfare. As we think of the misery of the First World War, it really should have been the war to end all wars. Desperately, we know that it wasn't. For while World War I ended in victory for the Allies, that outcome only paved the way for the beginning of World War II, 21 years later, for the evil forces of Nazism and Bolshevism were bubbling under and were soon to be unleashed on the world. And even though when those wicked regimes were neutralised, other monsters with a thirst for total dominance or a warped ideology reared their ugly heads and caused mayhem and destruction and devastation. Today, we face an enemy that is nowhere and yet is everywhere in global terrorism. It seems the human race hasn't learned the lessons of the past. And it seems, as a race, we feel the need to press the the self-destruct button from time to time. So it is important that we remember. For a nation that forgets the past, loses its grip on reality and faces a dangerous future... It is good that this nation, along with many other nations around the world, has continued to remember. And yet, from time to time, we, humanity, still seem to be hell-bent on the destruction of other human beings. And so, even though we remember today, we surely find ourselves, on a day like today, asking, will it ever change? How will it ever change? Well, on this Sunday, I want to suggest that the answer is in remembering But not just remembering the last hundred years. We need to remember something and someone 2,000 years ago. Remember these words that we had read for us just now. You might like to turn to them. Uh, Page 1083. John chapter 15. Remember these words, words of the Lord Jesus Christ. John 15, page 1083. John 15 and verse 12. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. They are famous words, words that today will be quoted hundreds, maybe thousands of times in churches and by war memorials up and down this land. But but what do they mean? Well, let me tell you what Jesus is not saying. As he said these words, he was not saying that to die in a war zone for others, for comrades, is the greatest love that can ever be shown. Now, please don't mishear me. As I say that, I'm not suggesting that those sacrifices were not remarkable. As I've said already, I'm thankful for those who made the ultimate sacrifice to bring us the freedoms we enjoy today. My point is simply this. As Jesus said these words, he wasn't speaking of wars and those ready to die in conflict. He wasn't thinking about war zones and military conflict at all. Primarily, he was speaking about one death, his own death. A death so significant, it could end a conflict that is at the heart of every war and battle and dispute and disagreement and argument. A death that can bring us to a place where there is no more enmity. On the 20th of December 1969, the guest on the Radio 4 programme Desert Island Discs was Field Marshal Lord Montgomery. When asked what book he would choose to take with him if marooned on an island, he replied that he would take his own book, The History of Warfare, not the most humble of selections. But what he said next is telling. 
he said that on the island he would devote his time to pondering how he could stop people from fighting. It's a great desire. The end of war, world peace. In the past, some have thought we were close to achieving it. Listen to Prince Albert opening the great Crystal Palace exhibition of 1851. He said, nobody who's paid any attention to our present era will doubt for a moment that we are living at a period of most wonderful transition which moves rapidly to accomplish that great end to which indeed all history points, the realisation of the unity of mankind. That was the hope 160 years ago, that humanity was close to being completely united. Yet only 50 years later, World War I began, and 21 years after that, we were plunged into a second world war, during which Churchill said, if we can stand up to Hitler, all Europe may be free, and the life of the world may move forward into broad, sunlit uplands. Again, here was someone daring to suggest that we had a hope of a bright and sunny future, a truly peaceful future. Well, they did rid Europe of Hitler, and we thank God that they did. But since then, the broad, sunlit uplands have been darkened again and again by the dark clouds of monsters who've wanted to rule this world. My point is simple. There have been so many false dawns. So many have had dreams of a brighter future, but those dreams are never realised. Today, we need to face up to the fact that on our own, we don't have the answer to the problem of human conflict but Jesus does. As he spoke about the greatest love of a man laying down his life for his friends, he wasn't speaking about people giving their lives in military conflict. For as Glenn Scrivener said on the poem that we listened, to end all wars and retribution, war itself is no solution. Can terror end all terror now? Brute force subdue itself and bow? Well, of course not. So where is the solution? Well, Scrivener adds, we need to interrupt the spiral, find the anti-retroviral. That's what Jesus was talking about. He came to get to the heart of the problem. Not just containing wars equivalent of Ebola, not just immunising people, but doing that and eradicating the conflict virus from the, from the human heart. It was just uh, hours before Jesus himself was going to die on a cross when he said these words, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. These words spoken by Jesus were about Jesus. On the eve of his going to a cross, Jesus said a young man was going to a place of unimaginable suffering and death. As Jesus hung on the cross, his suffering was even worse than anything experienced in trench warfare. At the cross, we see the greatest love this world has ever seen. Greater love has no man than this. There are many remarkable stories of the bravery and sacrifice of servicemen and women taking the bullet, dying for their comrades. Search the internet and you can read them, some of the most moving accounts of people who died to save others. But search the internet, as I've done this week, and I doubt you'll find one story of someone deliberately taking the bullet for their foe. Someone dying deliberately to save the enemy. Yet that is what Jesus did. 
And that's what makes his death on the cross the greatest love. As we read in verse 13 that Jesus laid down his life for his friends, let me remind you what kind of friends they were. They were the kind of friends who walked away from Jesus when he needed them most. They were the kind of friends who denied Jesus at his most lonely and most vulnerable time. At the precise moment when he was being unjustly accused and wrongly sentenced and then barbarically murdered, his friends were deserters. When Jesus said these words, Jesus' disciples were not his friends at all, not in any meaningful sense. And they were not God's friends either. They were at war with God, as we all are. We were made to live in harmony with God and with those around us, but the history of all conflicts we remember today and our own consciences scream at us that we have failed and fallen short. Facing up to this is why I became a Christian. I'd always believed God was there. I was a law-abiding citizen. I had a, a good job and paid my taxes. But as I began to look honestly into my life, My conscience convicted me. I didn't treat people as I should. I didn't even live up to my own standards, let alone God's. If the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind and strength, that is to love God with everything that I am, then I fall at the first hurdle. And if the second commandment is to love my neighbour as myself, then I fall again. And that's the story not just of my life, but of all our lives, failing to love God and love neighbour day after day after day. Oh, there are some great moments. Some moments of love and beauty and kindness and thoughtfulness. We are made in God's image, after all. We're capable of some wonderful things. But those great acts of love and kindness only make our failures worse. We are capable of great love and kindness, but we choose so often not to live that way. If we're honest, if we'll look deeply into our own lives, there are far too many moments when when we show our true colours, times of great ugliness, of rank selfishness, self-absorbed irritability, getting annoyed over the smallest things, Indignant because it didn't go our way, because we were slighted. Oh, we're expert at hiding it from others most of the time. But when we're honest, when we listen to our own conscience, when we look into our own hearts, and and when we do that without quickly jumping to our own defence, we have to admit we are guilty. Again, Glenn Scrivener puts it so well. He says of war, it's us. Unleashed for good and ill, a gallant heart, a savage will. The Kaiser's pride, a nation's fear, a global greed. It's all in here, he says, in the human heart. The human heart is where all war begins. And here's Scrivener again. What causes war, the old book asks, beyond the history, beneath the masks, begins a want, becomes a will, demands a way, prepares to kill what causes war the pressing question what can halt inborn aggression the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart we are rebels we've rebelled against god declared independence 
started a war of independence against the Almighty. We are his enemies. And because we war against him, we war against others. But here's the thing. Jesus showed the greatest love in the universe by laying down his life for us. People like this that we've just been describing. You and me. Have you heard the story of Maximilian Kobe? He was a Polish priest who died in Auschwitz on August the 14th, 1941. When a prisoner escaped from the camp, the Nazis selected 10 others to be killed by starvation in reprisal for the escape of another prisoner. One of the 10 selected to die began to cry and weep, my wife, my children, I'll never see them again. And moved by those words, Maximilian Kobe stepped forward and asked to die in his place. And his request was granted. That is something, a little something of what Jesus did as he died on the cross. He died in the place of another. Except Kobe died for an innocent man. Jesus died for guilty people. Greater love has no man than he lay down his life for his friends, his guilty friends. Isn't that quite something? Jesus died so that we could be friends with God and in doing so he goes to the heart of the problem. And so Jesus' death can change the world. First, it can change your world. Jesus' death and his resurrection from death three days later shows us that we can be right with God and be sure of life beyond the grave. Naturally, we are God's enemies at war with the almighty creator of the universe And it's really not the smartest thing to be at odds with the most powerful entity in the entire creation. But Jesus, the walking, talking armistice, can bring us peace with God through his death on the cross. And so give us life in eternity in paradise. He offers us and can deliver the bright new world that so many have looked for. He can deliver a future, an eternal world of broad sunlit uplands. A world where there is the full and final unity of mankind. That eternal life beyond the grave can be ours when we turn to Christ. Today you remember people that died in wars to bring us freedom and we thank God that they did. But history tells us that the brave soldiers of the past can't bring us a lasting solution, a lasting peace or an everlasting life. But that is what Jesus brings us through the greatest love of laying down his life for others. Remembering this can change your world. And then as I close, remembering this can change the world of those we meet. Jesus said these words, verse 12, my command is this, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Last month saw the, uh, the final British troops leave Afghanistan and, and Helmand province. Now, whatever you think of that conflict and whether you think we should or shouldn't have been involved, I was struck when I read of a situation that a group of British soldiers found themselves in uh, while in Afghanistan. They were trapped in the middle of a minefield that they'd stumbled into. 
Several of them were injured, and a young medic among them showed incredible bravery as he moved between them to treat them as they waited for a helicopter to come and evacuate them. For the medic, each move could have killed him, but he still attended the wounded. Soldiers risk their lives each day of active duty. They do it for their country, yes. But while they're there on the ground, ask them why they put themselves in such danger and put their own lives at risk. And they will tell you it's for others in their patrol. It's for their friends. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He not only risked his life for his friends, he gave his life for his friends to make us his friends. Not to make us servants, verse 15, but friends. And being his friends changes us profoundly. During the Crimean War in the 1850s, a British cavalry formation called the Light Brigade were ordered to charge straight at a Russian cannon. Alfred Tennyson's famous poem, The Charge of the Light Brigade, reads like this. Theirs not to make reply, theirs not to reason why, theirs but to do and die. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Tennyson's point, these poor men were given no reason, they had no explanation, and they were in no place to ask why. They were soldiers, servants of a higher-ranked officer. They just had to follow orders, do what they were told. But with Jesus, it's different. He says, verse 15, I no longer call you servants, Because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. We become his friends the moment we understand why he died for us. And in making us his friends, Jesus treats us with such dignity. He doesn't just say, do this, do that, do the other. No, as a friend, he lets me into his thinking, his reasoning, and his mission for the world. And that is life-changing. Glenn Scrivener, one more time. You, to sweet surrender brought, forgiveness for your battles fought, peace to pass from, to every soul. Then warfare ceased from pole to pole. Because we've been forgiven and are at peace with God, Jesus now gives us a desire, no more than that. He gives us a love for others to tell them how they too can be at peace with God. And he fills us with such love that we will want this even for those who've wronged us, even those who've wronged us terribly. You see, as Jesus' friends, we know the Father's business, the business of taking this life-changing message of forgiveness and peace with God to others, even those we might see as our enemies, those who are his enemies. That's his business. It is his core business to love, to love people and to bring everyone to be his friend. And so as his friends who know his business, we'll want to lay down our lives to do just that, to do everything we can to tell others how they can be at peace with God. And when we live that way, it is life-changing and world-changing. Laying down our lives, loving people that way in that work, we can change the world of others. And that does change the world because it changes hearts one at a time and it changes hearts to want to love. Well, today we remember many acts of self-sacrifice and the stories we hear are remarkable. But none of them brought an end to war. 
or brought a world to love. They couldn't do that. But there was a greater love. A love greater than any before it or since. The love of Jesus Christ laying down his life to make us his friends. That love changes hearts. Changes hearts that we no longer want war. Changes hearts so that we can love even our enemies. And guarantees a future, an eternal future, where war will one day be a thing of the past. Now, if any of that is new to you, uh, then I have a little booklet uh, written by Roger Carswell called The War That Changed the World. I've got about 20 of these. If you'd like one, please do take them from me on the way out.